Hello and welcome to a brand new episode, uh, episode 12 of Invasion of the Podcasters. Um, your, this is Graham, um, where I'm going to be looking at what's on free-to-air uh, terrestrial TV. Along with me, we also have Simon. Hello guys, Simon here. I am your guy who tends to look at some of the more obscure streaming services, such as uh, Mubi and Shudder. I'm finding it very difficult to balance the Mubi and Shudder life at the minute, so this week I've gone for Shudder over Mubi. Uh, but I do have some other things which might pique your interest. And as well as Simon and myself, we've also got Scott. Scott here, um, looking after Amazon and Netflix primarily, and I'll just be alerting you to what's coming up on Amazon Prime this month, i.e. September. And uh, we always like to start each episode with uh, something that's been in the news, and uh, it's been uh, just very sad news in the past uh, few days, the unfortunate passing of uh, Chadwick Boseman at the age of 43 with uh, uh, colon cancer. So it was um, announced, I think it was on uh, Saturday morning, like through Friday night into Saturday morning, uh, the announcement came about, and I think everyone's really sort of uh, taken aback by it, by someone who, had still at a relatively young age, had so much of a career ahead of them, uh, but some phenomenal successes in the short time that they've uh, been in the business. Um, how about your thoughts, uh, guys? Yeah, I think what's the most amazing about it is that he he battled cancer for what, five or six years, and he... He continued uh, to work, and the director of Black Panther uh, didn't even know that he had cancer. So, um, you know, I think it says a lot about him. Him as a as a, an individual, what an incredible person he he obviously was uh, to to keep going uh, without letting anyone even know what suffering he was going through. So, uh, yeah, it's just complete a complete shock to the whole world, really. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to echo everything there. Um, again, sort of you were saying about Brian Coogler not even knowing about the cancer uh, and all that sort of thing. You've got to think of the level of physical preparation these Marvel movies take. I mean, he did like four of them. I know he's not an Endgame much, but still, mm -hmm. I bet he worked a hell of a lot for that. Um, also, you've got to think of stuff like The Five Bloods as well, in absolutely incredible shape for like a very small role in that. And, you know, heading up action pictures like 21 Bridges, just astonishing. Like, what what a work ethic you must have had. And um, he was a great screen presence as well. Mm. He had real presence and sort of raw power. It's rare that you find that in, a, like, a, a superhero lead. I mean, obviously, you've got, like, sort of big charismatic presences like Robert Downey Jr. and what have you. But Boseman brought something else to it. Um I've been going back over the past few days and seeing loads of, sort of tribute videos to him of speeches that he gave and uh, how he interacted with his fans and, and you know, he clearly meant so much to them. And it's just heartwarming to see that this, you know, this big outpouring of love and respect for a man who clearly had as much for his followers and his, uh, and his community as well. Big loss. Yeah, one of, the, one of the main things I think about his legacy is that uh, really, Black Panther and his his uh, portrayal of Black Panther was like the first real big black superhero. Um, I, this morning, I was thinking about like Wonder Woman and what that would have meant to girls like Linda Carter back in back in the seventies. It's quite a similar thing in terms of representation. Like that was obviously a, a girl a girl being able to say, "Look, look, ma'am, uh, that's me. That could, that could be me." something to look at now i think it's the same with black panther like uh if you if you're a young black boy in ghana in barbados in america wherever just wherever you are in the world to see a black character and think a superhero and think look he looks like me mm -hmm. um like someone who someone who isn't white person of color is not going to look at captain america and think oh that's me because because they don't feel represented by that. But yeah. to see Black it's Panther... Very sort of white image there, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> see Boseman's portrayal as something that things couldn't leave an enduring legacy for for many years ahead. Yeah. I was also reading something the other day in regards to uh, Boseman's accent for Black Panther. I think originally they were sort of considering him having a, a, either an English accent or an American accent. And he was like, well, neither of those would work because obviously Wakanda is going to be a, a nation that's completely cut off from the rest of the world. And you've got to think that um, any of these, uh, you know, 
like if if he gave him a European accent, for example, it would imply that he was uh, educated there. So just that sort of that extra level of detail that he sort of brought to the character as well, just yeah, just the real uh, guy who put a lot of passion into his art no matter how big that art was because i think it's very easy to sort of like dismiss the marvel movies as something corporate but i mean obviously so far black panther's been out craggy two years already um but it's it's cultural impact cannot be uh overstated really it's, it's, yeah it's a big I mean, thing the other day i saw uh, lewis hamilton doing a like a wakanda salute you call it yeah, we're kind so, of forever. Yeah, yeah kind of forever. And then saw LeBron James and the basketball the other day. And then uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang of Arsenal. So you see it going into the sports world, uh, which again mm -hmm. is going to uh, project that, that uh, like try to boost his legacy even further. So it just shows the transcendent nature of his character and his portrayal. So mm -hmm. it's an incredible legacy to leave behind. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that came to mind when uh, I heard the news and I saw it um, posted online uh, was uh, he had an, he did an interview with Simon Mayo for their entertainment show on Five Live. It was about when it was uh, the uh, Twenty One Bridges um, film, and uh, Simon Mayo came up with a question towards the end where he talked about um, at the time um, Martin Scorsese was releasing um, The Irishman on Netflix. So Scorsese had mentioned something about um, and like Marvel films and superhero films and how they don't carry as much substance. And it was also around the same time that Coppola had said that he doesn't uh, think of comic book films as, uh, as cinema, as true cinema. So I think Chadwick Boseman just had a really um, insightful, um, eloquent answer to it of how much he respects Scorsese and how you've got to look at the, the two sides to it. Now he's in the game where he's promoting his own film, which is going to be on Netflix anyway, which isn't going to get as wide a cinematic release as it might otherwise. Um, but uh, just a really eloquent speaker who considers uh, what he's going to say before saying it. And uh, yeah, just going to be a really big loss of someone who... I can only really admit to saying that I've seen a, a handful of his films, um, but uh, to pick up on with what we do here on the podcast is try to highlight what's out there and available is that at the day that we record this on the 1st of September, uh, Film 4 are showing uh, Get On Up, um, the uh, biopic of uh, him playing uh, James Brown. James Brown. Um, mm -hmm. The film, obviously, it's going to be on Film 4 this evening, but it'll likely be on all four, but it's also available on Netflix as well. So it's a great opportunity to see one of the films that really did catapult him, that probably put him in the mind for getting the role um, of Black Panther uh, with Marvel. That shot him into the stratosphere, so well worth checking that out. Did either of you guys see the uh, the article that was on the screen rant uh website though yeah um, they've, I, did. I think they've either removed it they've definitely apologized it for saying what does this mean for black panther 2 and it's just like oh my <laughs> god it's, how tasteless can you yeah. be i mean i'm sure there was probably people out there who thought it but to actually publish that article mm -hmm. i mean there's too soon it's and like, then it's just un mm -hmm. like there are obviously going to be no answers for that either it's just going to be sort of like tasteless theorizing exactly yeah you know it's like just yeah people just need to not talk about it for a while just uh yeah now's not let... the time it's more yes, a case yeah. of just uh acknowledging uh, the the good body of work yeah. that he did in the man uh, himself um but in terms of um Moving on though with the episode, a bit of a heavy start there, but um, I'll pick up on uh, my areas of um, what's available on free-to-air TV and so forth. Um, but this week, actually, I've had a good look forward, and there's not much in the ways of uh, films on TV um, I've really been able to pick out on. At least nothing that I either haven't seen already or something I think might be really interesting to highlight. Um, but there are a couple of things that have been on already, and they're available through the likes of iPlayer and all four. Um, so a couple of things to highlight are Sully uh, with Tom Hanks um, about the story, the true story of the uh, pilot who uh, crashes um, his uh, plane successfully into the Hudson River um, in order to save the lives of uh, the passengers. Um, also is on Molly's Game, 
uh, with Jessica Chastain, uh, Idris Elba. Um, the reason why I wanted to pick this up, it's because the script is in the screenplays by Aaron Sorkin. Um, so any fans of The West Wing, um, Fast Didn't Talking... did he direct that as well, as well? Oh, I think I it's like a directorial debut, ah, I think. You, oh, you might be right. I'll have to pick that up. But yeah, I just saw screenplay by, and I was like, well, that's me interested. <laughs> um, and then also on um, iPlayer as well is uh, Ben Affleck in The Accountant. Um, I know Ben Affleck had a bit of a resurgence in his career with the likes of uh, Argo and so forth, um, and then Gone Girl. Uh, but I can see you sitting squirming there, Simon. Your thoughts on uh, The Accountant? It's a terrible film. <laughs> it's almost incomprehensible. It's really boring, and it's kind of offensive to autistic people, I think. So Yeah, cause he plays an autistic well, accountant, doesn't he? It's another one of those action films that is marketed as an action film but like there's so little care done for the actual storytelling itself like the it feels like a sort of paperback novel that they just found in an airport and then they just went oh yeah that seems like a good idea let's just adapt that but um yeah i'm not a fan of it at all well, I've got it's got say, a good cast though yeah i mean i've got to say none of which of these films that i've seen yet so these are just things that i'm um, particularly interested in sully on the other hand is really good yeah Really good. We can all do with a bit of Tom Hanks in our life, so that's uh, that's what I'll be focusing on. Um, but as well as uh, iPlayer, there's on uh, all four is uh, the Duke of Burgundy. Um, I know that uh, our opinions differed on um, Barbarian Sound Studio, which I didn't really enjoy too much, or Peter Strickland. I didn't enjoy it too much either, actually. Did you? But oh, I am right, a fan okay. of I am a fan of Strickland's work in general. I think his his uh, debut. Kathleen Varga is a fantastic film. It's a sort of like, it's almost like an art house rape revenge movie. Mm. Um, sort of like Tarkovsky's I Spit on Your Grave. So, you know, why not? I'll, I'll, I'll have that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, you were going to say about the Duke of Burgundy. Yeah, there. but well, that's on all four. So we'll be with, uh, with Overdue, having watched uh, the uh, Barbarian Sound Studio, um, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't think too much. I thought it had something about it, uh, but it just kind of left me a bit cold. Um, when mm-hmm. it, it really should have ticked all the boxes for me with like a, being a big fan of giallo, um, Italian horror and the process of filmmaking and so forth. But um, I'm interested to see what he does with the Duke of Burgundy, so I'll be checking that out. Do stick with it as well, because the, the, the opening 20 minutes are tough, and you're like, oh man, this is just going to be a torturous watch. Mm. But then it begins to sort of play its hand very, very, very slowly, and then by the time you get to the end, you're like, Okay, that is as romantic a film I think I've ever seen. Ah, good. Um, so it's uh, it's very good stuff. I'll be checking that out, definitely. Um, a couple of other bits that I want to pick up on quickly as well is that uh, on iPlayer, um, a TV box set has become available from the 5th of September. Um, on BBC Two, they're actually showing um, Battlestar Galactica, the, uh, the sort of 2003 um, TV series, which was originally on the like, Sci-Fi Channel, um, they're showing it from uh, nine forty-five on BBC Two from Saturday night, the fifth of September. But um, each Saturday they're going to be showing episodes, but it's going to become all available through iPlayer as well. Um, so it's a TV series that I know and love, and I could have held on to it for like a box set binge in a future episode. But mm. with it being out there on the coming available, I thought I'd uh, mention it just for people to to pick up on. I've watched it in standard definition uh, when. I bought the DVD box sets of it, so I'll be interested to watch it in HD because as good as the storylines are, the budget does seem to be getting stretched quite a bit and some of the CGI sequences uh, were a little flimsy, but the actual storylines... And I know that we like to talk about box sets where we have like a fantastic epic endings. It's one of those series where the ending really sort of split fans. So um, mm. interesting to get through it again to then reappraise the uh, the finale. Um, also, um, one bit of news I've picked up on is coming up on uh, Film 4 this September. Uh, they've been shown little snippets and idents between uh, sh- films on their uh, channel for the uh, between segments of adverts. As for uh, They're doing a season this September of British cinema. So there's going to be um, lots of British premieres, and one particular one I've picked out on there is Bait. 
uh, which is going to be getting shown. So for those of you who've been hearing about it, me included, I have not yet to see it. Um, as soon as a date is confirmed, because I've tried to have a hunt online to find when the air date is, but haven't been able to find. So as soon as we hear that, we'll either, if we've got an episode in the pipeline or on our social media channels, we'll uh, mention that for as wide an audience as possible. Um, and then last but not least, uh, also we have on Blu-ray, we just picked up in the last few days, that's Second Sight, um, who we all know and love for, they're shortly going to be doing their uh, Dawn of the Dead box set, which comes out next month, counting down the days. Whoop, whoop. Um, they've announced in the past few days that they're doing a release of Dog Soldiers. Now, Dog Soldiers over here in the UK has never had a Blu-ray release. It was a DVD available, um, but it was, I think, what's the... Is it Scream Factory? They're like an American um, label. No idea. Sorry. I know a lot oh, of... Oh, yeah, sorry. Scream Factory. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you said Scream Factory. I know, there, Scream Factory. Um, <laughs> they did a special edition uh, that was obviously like a Region 1, which um, yeah. I think apparently there was... Quite a lot of people said it wasn't a particularly well-put-together package, either both mm. in terms of restoration and extras. Um, but I know a lot of people, for the sake of getting it on Blu-ray, were getting that on import. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what Second Sight do with a, a Region 2 release over here. Yeah, I mean, because it's a British production as well. Neil um, Marshall. Th- exactly, local lad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hopefully they should be able to su- pull together some extras and whatnot. Also, in regards to Scream Factory, I think their releases are generally pretty good. I've got... I think I've got two of them. I think I have... Yes, I do have two of them. I've got Nightbreed, mm-hmm. which is uh, the director's cut, Clive Barker's director's cut of that. Packed with extras. Uh, Arrow released that yeah. um, again. In a limited edition, which is uh, uh, worth getting your hands on, if you <laughs> uh, movie in the standard uh, release rather than the limited edition, which goes for a pretty penny nowadays. Which I've uh, got. But they've also, yeah, me too as well. <laughs> <laughs> I need to move on my uh, Screen Factory edition, but it's, I just can't be bothered to sell it. Um, but then, of course, they have um, the rights to In the Mouth of Madness as well. John Carpenter is very, very underrated. Lovecraftian horror uh, about essentially Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, because of the sort of connections there, yeah. Arrow and Second Sight, hopefully we'll get a uh, In the Mouth of Badness restoration eventually, because that is long, long overdue. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of as well with um, things that we've been uh, watching, um, this well, the last weekend, Mandy was on Film 4, and after you've Rant isn't raved on about it for so long. I thought definitely (laughs) it's about time I need to check this out. It was the TV premiere of it, so um, I had it uh, watched. Um, I didn't want to stay up to watch it on the the night it was on. I recorded it and watched it the next day, so I do think it loses. Well, skip through the breaks, but then also it Mm -hmm. does sort of lose a little something when you're watching it in daylight. Oh, you you didn't. Hey, I have no night owl. I've got a job to hold down. I know it's a bank holiday weekend. <laughs> on a <I> weekend? <laughs> Come on. I, I've still got it uh, recorded on the box, so I could rewatch it. Um, I know you're chomping in the bit to find out my thoughts on it, aren't you? Yeah, because uh, just, just for the listeners here, I actually said, Graham, do not tell me your opinion on Mandy yet, just mm-hmm. so my reaction is as genuine as humanly possible. Uh, and well, I am... You've Nervous. built you've built it up and built it up. Now I like to go in with this trying to lower my expectations. I thought it, it was there was something brilliant about it. All in all, okay. I don't think it really sort of connected with me as being brilliant, but I did recognise oh. that there are elements within there that I really liked. But uh, I can't quite put like? my finger on it. The bit the style of it, I thought the 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 eighties kind of pulsating uh, soundtrack to it was mm-hmm. superb. I loved mm-hmm. the effects of just the sky, uh, the mm-hmm. coloring of it all. Um, some of the shots I thought were really good, but a lot of it was just really dingy and very sort of dirty. You couldn't really make much out. There were just shots of just like the camera. That's because you watched it during the day. No, no, it I is. Mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> Because whenever I've watched Mandy, I've always watched it in pitch darkness, and it works a treat. <laughs> I suppose. Um, but I thought I'm a big fan of Nicolas Cage doing Nicolas Cage. Um, yeah. And I th- there was just like, it was just felt a bit weird. It was just like that bit where he 
goes into the toilet, downs white spirit, and then just screams for like five minutes. I was oh, just like, man. I, it was just, it was, I don't know, it just didn't connect with me, but I do appreciate the elements of what went into the making of the film. On mm. any other given night, I might have been, I do say night, because I'll admit I watched it through the day. Um, I would probably have enjoyed it more, so I think I'll have to give it a rewatch. Yeah. Uh, plus, I mean, if you're consciously sort of skipping through the breaks and all that sort of thing, I think you're going to lose a bit of momentum because it's the first hour or so is so sort of glacially paced, isn't it? Mm, yeah. But the menace of, uh, you know, Jeremiah and all that sort of thing, the bit at his house is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's this sort of big cathartic moment when the title finally arrives on yeah. screen, precisely 75 minutes into the film. Then it, like, kicks off in the most major way imaginable. I I love it. <laughs> I really do. Scott, you quite liked it, right? Um, Did you? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to remember <laughs> what you thought. I just think you didn't think that it was much of a masterpiece as I did. Um... It's been a while. Um, I need to watch it because uh, when I watched it, it was on a thing called Chili, um, which is like where you pay for a like, film on there. So mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't subscribe to this thing, but you need to watch it on there. Um, so it's on these three things. Got handed it was at a um, shopping centre. So I, I sort of watched it on this thing. The quality was terrible. Um, it kept buffering. Um, so, oh. to be honest... Uh, you guys have had the worst Mandy experience. I wasn't in a <laughs> position to really have many thoughts, but uh, certainly it's it's one of the most visually striking films you could you could, you could watch. Yeah. Um, so certainly I would agree that you have to watch it in darkness. It's like under the skin in that respect. Uh, if you watch it during daylight, yeah. it loses its effect. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll watch it again um, on on a more reliable um, service <laughs> and I'll, um, I'll get back to you with my with more complete thoughts at some point. Thank you for your dedication, Scott. <laughs> and thank you for also saying uh, on on air that you're both going to rewatch it as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll do. I'm, I'm going to rewatch it for, um, of you know, you will. Like it's Halloween another, and what have you. The passing so. of another day, you're going to watch it, aren't you? <laughs> it's always playing in my head on loop, really, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what difference it's going to make, but, you know. Go on, but it's, uh, it's over to you now, Simon. You've got your chunk now to look after. I have, yeah. Um, I said, first of all, that, uh, you know, I haven't really looked at anything on movie this week, which means I still haven't watched a touch of Zen because it's really long. It's about three hours. But uh, this week I did manage to squeeze in uh, something on Shudder, which was called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, which is uh, very much like In Search of Darkness, which I reviewed a few weeks ago. Uh, it's a clips show documentary, uh, meaning it's composed of clips from different movies with a bunch of talking heads telling stories about them and sort of analysing them and what have you. Um, it does function, actually, as an excellent counterpart to In Search of Darkness uh, as well, because... Um, it, horror noir kind of fills in a lot of the blanks that In Search of Darkness kind of left out. In Search of Darkness was a primarily sort of white viewpoint on the horror genre. Um, and horror noir makes up for the general sort of lack of insight and focus on, on black voices in horror. Um, it starts off by reminding us of the raw power of Jordan Peele's Get Out before sort of winding the clock back to 1915 and introducing us to the first real black horror film, which of course is D.W. Griffith's Ku Klux Klan propaganda epic, The Birth of a Nation, uh, wherein D.W. Griffith casts uh, white actors in blackface and depicts the black actors as either uh, duplicitous, opinionated servants, uh, enemies of the common good, or just out-and-out rapists and murderers. Um, The rest of the documentary does take sort of steps through history to see how far we've come, um, and also to look at how far we still have to go. Um, Particular highlights include a look at the unexpectedly timely cultural impact of Night of the Living Dead and its initially colourblind casting, and also uh, a very balanced look at Candyman and its complicated politics where a number of critics and the Candyman himself, uh, Tony Todd, discuss the impact of white voices on a story of the ghost of racial violence inflicting itself on both black and white communities alike. 
the documentary keeps good pace as well at a good 83 minutes uh, and it's also unafraid to dispel and interrogate certain cinematic myths let's call them um, and there's a particularly good insight into the rule of if you're a black supporting character you'll be the first to die that is not necessarily true uh, as you think it is I think that so why it works quite well alongside In Search of Darkness. For all of its uh, longer cousins, epic scope and episodic structure, it doesn't go that deep into rules such as that. Uh, it kind of just glosses over them and doesn't pay a whole lot of care and attention to it. This, on the other hand, goes deep while also not outstaying its welcome in the slightest. Uh, if anything, I'd have liked a longer version of this because it is very solid uh, in indeed. Um, we also had a little bit of listener correspondence this week via Twitter. Uh, it was a little bit of a recommendation that was given to us by LL Schmo. Uh, they got in touch with us uh, a couple of weeks ago and asked if any of us had seen a late 80s fantasy movie by the name of Paper House. Uh, none of us had, but Schmo did give us the heads up that it was now on Amazon Prime, acknowledging that um, it might not have aged that well. Um, I must say before I get into this, uh, I purposefully went in blind so I had no sort of hyper bias uh, for this listener's recommendation, which is something I'd actually like to get going in the future. So if anyone's curious as to what we think of a certain film, then throw that recommendation our way uh, and we'll give you our honest opinion on it. And now for my honest opinion on uh, Paper House, whoopsie daisy, um, I'll start off by saying, well, it's, it's an early film from Bernard Rose, who's probably most famous for directing Immortal Beloved with uh, Gary Oldman as uh, Ludwig van Beethoven. Uh, and also uh, Bernard Rose did uh, direct Candyman as well, making its second appearance on today's podcast. Um, it's basically an odd fantasy drama with coming of age elements uh, and horror inflections to sort of bring out maximum hysteria in its central character. Uh, it follows the story of a young girl on the cusp of puberty whose drawings become a fantasy world in which she can enter uh, but finds it very very difficult to leave as well. Um, it's a strange film for a number of reasons I think. Uh, the biggest being that it doesn't really know where to pitch its tone. Uh, on one hand, as a script it very much feels geared towards children because it's about, you know, it discusses death and coming to terms with the fact that the, the people that you love might not be perfect um, but it's sort of pitched in such a simplistic twee kind of way that it's hard to imagine adults getting much out of it other than yeah I know <laughs> um, on the flip side you can definitely see Rose's heady style uh, that he later refined in Candyman uh, and this often leads him to sort of press way too hard on the horror button which um, absolutely guarantees nightmare feel for any kids who need to be taught a lesson from this film. Can I just stop um, you there, Simon? I just realised you have yeah. said Candyman three times now. You weren't looking in a mirror at the same time, were you? I haven't got a mirror in this room, Are although I do have a television behind me, so... Yeah, uh, I think you might be safe. Oh, man. I, yeah, I'm just... I don't think I'm going to say it again. <laughs> I'm very scared now, Graham. I'm not going to be able to hold it together for the rest of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, but basically my point is about Paper Houses. I'm not really sure who it's made for. Um, just like uh, Come Drink With Me as well from, from the previous podcast, this one is also afflicted with some terrible, terrible dubbing. Uh, the mother character in particular is played by an American actress called Glenn Headley, uh, and she's inexplicably dubbed into British RP, which is just one of the worst attempts at dubbing I think I've ever seen. Um, it is a product of its time. It was made in 1988, I think. Um, but I don't know what this particular product was up to, even back in its day. Um, that being said, do not let my mostly negative review uh, put you off, listeners, from, from suggesting things. Um, I mean, we always disagree about things on this podcast, and that's most of the fun, isn't it? So... Mm. Um, we always enjoy sort of seeking out new films and, and giving them a whirl. Whether if they all enjoyed or... everything, then it wouldn't be any fun in that, would there? Exactly. I mean, why would you be listening to us? Um, yeah, so uh, please just do throw something in for us to sort of fight over, like a pack of uh, rabbit dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> this week I'm also going to break the rules a little bit, um, <gasps> because I know, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play around with a feature that my esteemed colleagues have pioneered in the past. I'm going to change the formula out of necessity, because I literally have nothing else to 
to talk about this week. Um, you may remember the box set binge feature, which was pioneered by Scott when he talked about The Wire, uh, carried on by Graham with Six Feet Under, and now I'm going to be controversial and talk about a series of films rather than a series of TV episodes. Because <laughs> Simon doesn't watch telly. He's too busy watching films. <laughs> I've been trying to watch telly. I mean, I was watching... Um, Better Call Saul from the beginning recently, which oh, I've good. never seen before. Oh, but uh, that's, that's for another day. I'm not that far into it yet. I just watched uh, the the five o episode with Mike, oh. which I know you all raving oh. about, Scott. That's <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the best episodes of television ever. I quite liked it. We'll, we'll I just like Mike that. more as a Stonewall character. We'll hold off Better Call Saul until it's concluded. Indeed, indeed, which is going to be next year, so Mm -hmm. hopefully not too long. Um, Yes, my little get-out-of-jail-free card uh, with sort of changing this section up here is that, yes, I did binge these films, and yes, it is a physical box set, so it definitely counts. I don't care what you say. Definitely counts. It's also a thing that I don't really feel gets talked about enough, so hopefully I'll be highlighting this for certain people who haven't sort of discovered it yet. Uh, have either of you gentlemen delved into the Phantasm franchise? No. Saw the, fir- saw the first one on the Horror Channel a little while ago. And what did you think? It was really good, actually. Very yeah, much of its it? time. <laughs> but it's just it's got something about it, that's for sure. I sat and enjoyed it. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and sort of pick apart some of the things that sort of make it tick like as I go along here, because there are five films to talk about, so... Uh, Settle in. Five? Oh God! Did they go that far? I thought it was only good. They did. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Um. Yeah. Five of them now, as of twenty sixteen. So it's quite a recent one. Um. But it all started in the early nineteen seventies, where a teenager called Don Coscarelli had a terrible nightmare, uh, where he was being chased through a mausoleum-like building by a chromatic sphere that wanted to penetrate his skull with a quote-unquote wicked needle. Uh, this would be the central idea that kick-started his deeply silly, but also, uh, I'm going to say, deeply emotional horror franchise, Phantasm. Um, only in his early 20s, uh, Don Coscarelli started Phantasm on a shoestring budget, calling in favours from friends, family, doctors and lawyers to uh, secure funding. And from what I've read about it today, it sounded like a fairly chaotic production. There were constant rewrites, unbearably long shooting days at weekends, and uh, with Coscarelli writing, directing, editing, and filming the entire thing, uh, it all became a bit of an unchecked labour of love. Um, The first film follows three oddball friends in a small American town who uncover a bizarre conspiracy at their local funeral home, uh, with a lot of bad energy and suspicion surrounding the resident undertaker, only ever referred to as the tall man, who is played with absolute conviction by uh, Angus Scrim, one of the great horror movie villains. Uh, Their ensuing antics involve an army of sinister dwarves, other worlds, intergalactic slavery, and, of course, uh, the floating spheres that Coscarelli dreamt of many years previously. Um, Because of that, and also a ruthless editing process, uh, the first film is a very dreamy American nightmare about sort of hunting down evil with your own home arsenal in your best mate's muscle car, uh, a vein which has followed very, very consistently across the 37-year span of the franchise. This one is also the scariest of the bunch. It contains a lot of strange imagery inspired by Edgar Allan Poe uh, and whatever was scaring Coscarelli at the time. Um, It's a wonderful film with a really loose handle on what's a dream and what's reality to create a very unique atmosphere of dread and uncertainty. Uh, The sequels are a really bizarre bunch, uh, often composed of belated story ideas and tangents, but, you know, they shouldn't really work, but they kind of do. Nine years after the first film, Coscarelli and company uh, returned with Phantasm 2, which really was the Evil Dead 2 of the franchise, Uh, up in the ante with chainsaws, DIY weaponry, uh, and just out-and-out comedy in favour of the sort of oppressive atmosphere and, and scares of the first film. It's still an incredibly likeable and very fun film. Retains a lot of the dreaminess of the first one as well. Uh, The apocalypse arrives here, uh, but it's not like a sort of Terminator Salvation style apocalypse or anything. Coscarelli, you know, he he keeps his cards very close to his chest and he lets the apocalypse happen very, very slowly. Like like rising damp sort of thing. 
Um, Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, is basically Phantasm 2, but kind of goofier. Uh, falls afoul of having a very irritating, precocious, Home Alone-style kid sidekick character. Uh, and the tall man even begins to talk properly this one. Uh, one of the scariest things about the character originally was the fact that he barely spoke, and when he did, he just shouted, Boy! At the protagonist uh, before sort of like chasing him around the place for a bit. Um, at this point, the franchise, you know, you'd think it would be in a steady state of decline, but along comes Phantasm Four, Oblivion, um, which... Along comes the fourth one to reignite the franchise. I am not even kidding, right? It's unreal. I mean, th th this film's really stuck with me since since last week. I've been thinking about it a lot, and it's been improving in my memory ever since I watched it. Uh, the full-on sort of dreaminess quality of, of the first film's back with a vengeance. Uh, and it's not only because Oblivion actually uh, uses a lot of footage from the first film that was left on the cutting room floor, uh, but it's also got a very unique uh, sort of desolate pace that adds so much more uh, emotional texture to the characters. And it ends in this very sort of bleak, harsh, inexplicable way, uh, left me completely ashen in a way that I haven't really felt since the ending of uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Um, and I basically ended up saying, well, I've got absolutely no idea how that could end any more perfectly than it did. And then... Yes, indeed. Uh, that was the, you know... Oblivion was the perfect ending for a good 18 years and then along comes Phantasm Ravager in 2016 which is a sort of borderline sci-fi channel level uh, revival of the franchise it's kind of hell bent on filling in the blanks left by Oblivion's ending uh, and it also somehow stars pretty much the entire surviving cast from the first four films uh, Coscarelli this time is only producing uh, and writing and he's given his financing to uh, David Hartman, who is an animation director with a strong back catalogue in the Winnie the Pooh and uh, Transformers cartoons. Um, but he's got a clear love of... Yeah, why not? Um, he's got a clear love of the Phantasm franchise, but I think he sort of lacks an understanding of what, what really makes it tick. Uh, all of the films have been low budget consistently, and they're all very scrappy and charming, but... Uh, this is a real low for the franchise, technically, uh, which is ultimately kind of distracting when the story's sort of pulling in about ten different directions at once. This one does go full Terminator Salvation as well, which, as we know from Terminator Salvation, is really a good thing. Uh, thankfully, though, it is such a long wait between Oblivion and Ravager that it's very easy to sort of decanonize it in your head and let Oblivion sit as the true ending. So no matter how much I might have grown throughout it, I've seen far worse endings to franchises that I love. <coughs> Rise of Skywalker. <coughs> <laughs> um, so all in all, four films out of five being at least good in a franchise, uh, as dumb and ridiculous as Phantasm is as kind of good as you can hope for. Uh, the Arrow Blu-ray box set is a real treasure. Um, I've yet to delve into the extras at large, but the restorations... Are fantastic. Uh, the sound in particular absolutely sings. Uh, Phantasm is probably up there with Hellraiser for, uh, for being the franchise with the weirdest horror lore for me. Uh, so if you're into anything like that, or The Evil Dead, or Nightmare on Elm Street, or Mandy, I don't think Mandy would have been made without Phantasm sort of paving the way, at least for some of the more hallucinogenic sequences. Mm -hmm. um, you'll find a lot to love if you like any of those things. Um, I promise that I'll return to this feature with a television series one day and stop being <laughs> a heathen about the whole thing. Um, but yeah, the, I can't recommend Phantasm enough. It's, it's a really unique franchise, and I would be lying if it didn't make me feel all the feels by the end of it. Very good. I remember there was a box set of that came out DVD years ago, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, where it was the actual sphere, the it's silver sphere, sphere. Yeah. again, you could like take the top off and the discs, you could just pull out. It was like, so cool, that was though. when it was first brought to my attention, but I just never got around to watching it until the Horror Channel finally got around to showing the, the first one. I remember seeing that DVD in like some of the shops when I was like very young, and because Angus Scrim is on the front of it with like the yeah. sphere... And he's got this, he's got a hell of a face for horror, man. <laughs> yeah. There's there's actually a lovely little introduction to the first Phantasm film where he's kind of 
He's, he almost looks like a sort of kindly grandfather, just sort of like sitting by the fireside. Not in the, the film, he like doesn't. Just, in, yeah, introducing the film. And then he just sort of like switches on the tall man at the end and he just goes, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that very much. Definitely set the tone. Fantastic. Well, when uh, when lockdown all eases, hopefully we can get together and do a bit of a, a trade of box sets. I wouldn't mind uh, watching. Yeah, man. Yeah, happily. Um, we've also uh, the thing that we've uh, managed to get watched um, has just been uh, Venom, which is uh, came to Netflix last week. So we all just wanted to have a do a bit of a reappraisal of that before we hand over to you, Scott, to do Amazon Prime and Netflix. So I watched it yesterday. Um, I watched it at night to get the full effect. Sorry, unreal, unreal. <laughs> a film that you could watch during the yeah, day. The, the blacks, I watched Venom on a train, man. The, the blacks really sung <laughs> on Venom during the night, but uh, yeah, I'll, don't worry. I watch Mandy and I'm the, sure they do in twilight um i i really enjoyed it i came out of the <laughs> cinema when i first saw it i was just like oh no but then thinking about it i think um, tom hardy just had a whale of a time um he's just letting off steam and i think it's a really sort of good energetic performance i think the film does lapse into very sort of cliched territory but how can you not with such a bizarre concept? Um, but mm-hmm. I do think from what they did with their Spider-Man 3 of totally butchered Venom, I do think they did a far better job of establishing the character. And now with the Andy Serkis uh, sequel, um, in, that's now filmed, I understand that they're just now in the process of getting oh, that did edited. they get in the can? Nice. Got it in the can, they're now editing it. And with the lockdown, they've got extra time to edit, so whether that's going to be oh, good wow. for or not... Um, because like Venom, the first one was a complete sort of rush, run to the finish line. Job, wasn't it? Was, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because originally it was going to be rated R, but then it kind of came out as PG thirteen in America. But then it still came out over here as a fifteen. Because mm-hmm. there was just some sort of like almost head, too dark stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, but then it's kind of like bloodless head biting, and that's no fun. You know, yeah. it's like. It's weird because it's like it did feel as if it, they could have really pushed it further, and for mm-hmm. it to be not necessarily darker, but just being a bit more graphic, but still had that kind of Evil Dead kind of like tone of comedy horror to it, um, mm-hmm. which I think would have really worked. But I think with the, from like the comic book angle, I mean, I've always liked Venom as. They kind of started off as a, a nemesis to Spider-Man, but then because of his following really took off, he became like an anti-hero. So mm-hmm. Eddie Brock has this fully-fledged story um, behind him, and I think what they can po- look to possibly do with Spider-Man, well, with Venom, sorry, in the, the wider universe is going to be really interesting, but it's all a case of do they link it in now together with Marvel, but it's Sony, so well, it'll be this in its is own universe. Yeah, this is this is quite interesting though because do you remember a trailer that came out? I think it must have been at the end of last year for Morbius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. With Jared Leto, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Which is a Sony produced Spider-Man villain movie. Yeah. And who turns up at the end of that trailer but Michael Keaton's Vulture mm-hmm. from the MCU. Yeah. Right? So I think because of the um Spider-Man Sony deal, which is which went through so many uh, different forms last year, didn't it? it did, um, yeah. It's just like, well, they're not going to let him have Spider-Man. They're going to let him have, you know, however many more films. Um, maybe this is going to sort of like set up for Tom Holland being exclusively Sony, fighting all of these guys in like a fully fledged Sinister Six movie, yeah, and not just in a way that Amazing Spider-Man Two try to set up very quickly at the end of that which was just like exactly if they set up the villains as the sinister six and Mm -hmm. then bring back spider-man in that so he's got his own universe already built around the villains it could pay off it could work i just think they've got to be very patient with it and i think we have to be more patient now because morbius has obviously been delayed i think it was due to come out in july Mm -hmm. um but i've heard nothing of it after that since that trailer was released yeah me too me too and I don't know if it's because of like Jared Leto backlash or whatever, because like I think the 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 taste of the Joker is still uh, in our mouths. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. It's it's quite an interesting thing how I think you know 
superhero u universes are evolving constantly. Um, in that way, that also Venom does sort of structurally feel like a relic from the mid two thousands, even mm -hmm. though it is in some respects a very modern superhero film. I have got to echo your thoughts about Tom Hardy's performance, though, because I didn't, I didn't think he was good at all first time I watched it, and then I've revisited it again, and he just kind of, he lets himself off the chain a little bit more than mm. you normally see him do, and he, I think he's quite a wild actor anyway, but it. I th there was one line which I really enjoyed, and I think it's it's when he finds out that uh, Riz Ahmed has also got a, a symbiote in him. Right. And he just goes, so he has one up his ass too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of the great superhero movie line deliveries, I think. <laughs> so it's, it, it's got its moments. I just don't think it's great on the whole, but... Yeah. Uh, up his ass too. Don't, his, uh, don't mention too. up his ass and on the hole. So yeah, let, let's move on <laughs> swiftly. Completely unintentional, I promise. Um, but obviously, at the start of this episode, we focused on the news of Chadwick Boseman. But there's been um, the big um, DC uh, fandom like events and announcements. Ah, yes. So uh -huh. I think we've gone on quite a bit for this episode because we still got Scott segment to go. So we'll look to cover some of the announcements of those trailers and things in a coming episode. Um, but uh, some interesting things popped up in that which uh, we could go into, but shall we uh, save that for uh, for episode 13? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say about the Batman thing. Looks I need to rewatch cool. a lot of I need to rewatch a lot of the things as well, so we'll save that did for next time. Did you spot Colin Farrell? I did, yeah, I know. You could barely make him out, could you? I know, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, but yeah, we've, um, we'll hand over to you now, Scott. We've... Uh, we've uh, Taking up a lot of your time, so go ahead. Sorry, dude. Hello, Simon. Um, you are saying that Venom is a bit like Upgrade, which I want to talk about. Now, I haven't seen Venom, so I can't, I can't okay. comment on those rumours. Um, but you know, I might come back and say you're, you're talking rubbish. Maybe I'll say you're, you're uh, right, it's but we'll almost see. Almost the same film. Just it, okay. In in fact, the guy who's in Upgrade, right, is kind of like B-list Tom Hardy. He looks almost exactly like Tom Hardy. Um, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> um, I'll let you yeah. talk about it. Go on. So I'll talk about it, and uh, as I say, I'll, I'll uh, let you know maybe next episode what I think of the of like, your comparison. <laughs> so Upgrade uh, came on Netflix last month, I think. Um, certainly it's come on very recently. Uh, this is a 2018 action film um, by director Lee Wanell. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that. I think so. Um, yeah. I mean, the concept of this film alone makes it an essential viewing, I think. So, main character, um, portrayed by Logan Marshall Green, who, according to Simon, looks like Tom Hardy. I'm not he so is. sure. <laughs> He's a technophobic mechanic named uh, Grey Trace. Great Good Trace. name. Good name. <laughs> yeah, um, name. And he's been rendered unemployed by advances in robotics um so obviously robots that people have often imagine them taking over jobs certainly uh, manual labor jobs things like that um and just going back to the uh horse jokes it's at least gray trace is better than brown trace um okay <laughs> that's disgusting <laughs> this is not the type of podcast we want to be want to be releasing we are so, trying to be clean Graham. Yes. That is the first swear that we have ever had, and shame on you, sir, for that. What, what swear? I didn't swear. I thought you said um, arse. You said arse first. You said it now. Oh, man, I've, I've let the cat out of the bag oh, now. Anyway, Never let's mind. move on from this topic. Anyway, I doubt any go. kids listen to this, so, uh, you know. <laughs> anyway, let's let's uh, get this podcast under the two-hour mark, shall we? Um, <laughs> so... Uh, so, Grey Trace, I'll keep saying the name in full because it's just great, right. uh, is rendered paralysed from the waist down uh, in a muggin. Um, and his wife is, is murdered in the same, in the same muggin. So, um, tough start for the, for the old boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> putting it lightly. <laughs> anyway, an, an, an inventor, an innovator. Um, implants a chip in Grey which res restores his ability to walk and 
he seeks revenge on those who paralysed him and who murdered his wife. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, the action sequences are both. <laughs> How insincere can you get? I know, Scott, what have you taken? It's fiction. Right? It's fiction. Uh, <laughs> action sequences are both sublime and brutal, uh, making John Wick yeah. look like a poodle. Uh, the plot is initially a bit formulaic, I think, but it does become quite compelling as the chip's true nature is unveiled. Um, the chip's operating system, uh, it's nothing like Siri, um, <laughs> is a is a hell-like entity called STEM. Oh, very, very uh, threatening. Which is easily the most impressive feature of the film, I think. Um, yeah, STEM's so cool. Yeah, very compelling. Um, I think many, as many aspects of Upgrade are reminiscent of Paul Verhoeven's action masterpiece, Robocop. Mm. Though I think Robocop is comfortably better. Um what I admire Upgrade for its blend of action, sci-fi, and some body horror. Uh, so if you like David Cronenberg, it's not it's not to that extent, obviously, but uh, certainly... It's kind of like sort of cybernetic implants and what have you, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, sort it's of like uh, diet Cronenberg. Stuff. Very diet, yeah. just Cronenberg, just extreme. Um, <laughs> and also there's injections of, of a cyberpunk element, sort of a retro-futuristic thing, because you've, uh, you've got Grey driving... Fixing and driving around in a, in a muscle car. Yeah, get in. Yeah. There's another connection to Phantasm as well. Exactly. Like, mm. muscle cars always add that just yeah. that little bit extra to, like, a cool movie, don't they? Because, like, Phantasm is awesome, right? John Wick. And John that Wick, a... exactly, yeah. If, you, if you're not yeah. driving, driving, like, a V8, then you just need mm. yeah. nobody. Yeah. Which cool. is why Mad Max Fury Road is the greatest film ever made. <laughs> So, so I think this, I think Upgrade will be looked back on very favourably in years to come. I think it'll be a, an action film, that's a sci-fi action of sorts that stands the test of time. There's also rumours of a, of a TV series. Um, originally there was, there was going to be a, just a film sequel, but uh, it looks like they're considering and actually pursuing a TV series. So oh, it could right, be in the nice. works. That's something yeah. I very much look forward to if that's going to be the case. So I think it's a kind of difficult film to sort of give a sequel to. Yeah. Considering mm-hmm. like the final five minutes, not spoiling anything, but yeah, I've not seen it yet, so. Uh, yeah, but I think um, really good, Graham. But uh, them and that, yeah. that's something that's really going to uh, could well propel a, a good series. So something to yeah. keep an eye on. Good um, concept. But I'll just close my my uh, feature with some things that are coming to Netflix and Amazon. Obviously. We are on the date of recording on the 1st of September, so there's some things coming up this month. On Netflix, we've got Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Um, hey. So you can compare the two, but I personally prefer the original uh, child murder film uh, starring <laughs> Gene Wilder. So uh, obviously child murder isn't, isn't a thing anyone looks looks on positively, but uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory sort of makes it yeah. so... Like, People just shrug. No, it's fine. Yeah, some it kids murdered with, with chocolate. I mean, basically, it's sort of a case to America, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, I, perhaps edit that bit out so we can appeal uh, to an American Oh, boy, audience. is taking no prisoners tonight. Um, I know. How much have you been drinking, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that, that's, that's on there today. So that's coming on on the 1st of September. Uh, so... Obviously, I mentioned Watchmen last week, so I mentioned a few things that were coming up then. Uh, we've got Freddy and Jason as well. No, Freddy versus Jason, sorry. Uh, yeah. The blend of um, Halloween and Freddy the 13th. Good um, fun. And Black Book Scream, um, created by Dylan Moran and Graham Linehan, and starring Dylan Moran himself and Bill Bailey. I know you like that, don't you? Fantastic series, well worth watching. Um, I think the first series is as good as six episodes of British comedies you'll find. Um, there's some absolutely brilliant episodes, um, some excellent gags. Um, just It's got so many guest cameos from people across the board of uh, British comedy, so highly recommend it, well worth checking out. And interestingly, that also joins the its fellow uh, Channel, Channel 4 alumnus, Spaced, which is also yeah. on... on Netflix. I would say like Black Books is like the sort of sister show to Spaced. Um, the the two go yeah. hand in hand very nicely. I, I rewatched all of Space recently as well. It's just a great show. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it it is a bit of a dry run for sort of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and whatnot, but I think it's as good as those two. 
yeah. really. The gag rate is just phenomenal, and the references yeah. to everything, but tying it all together to the narrative is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and over on Amazon Prime, um, I picked up a few things that are coming up there. Uh, it's, it's quite a divisive list of things, I think. Um, some of these films, I think, made divided opinion, one of them in particular, which is The Hobbit Trilogy, which is coming on the 15th of September. I know some people loathe it. Um, obviously, coming after Lord, Lord, the iconic Lord of the Rings trilogy, some people uh, seem to despise The Hobbit trilogy, I think. Um, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, it was only one short yeah. book, and how did they stretch it out to three films? One other thing that, that, in my opinion, is not divisive, i.e. is total dross, is The Gentleman by Guy Ritchie, which is coming on the 8th of <laughs> September. Uh, some people seem to enjoy it. I don't know why. Um, if you're looking at lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and snatch, thinking, is this the same guy? Because this is shocking. Uh, not mention Charlie Hunnam's atrocious accent. Um, which is so weird, because he's from here. Yeah, <laughs> he's putting on a jolly accent. And he's it's, a Geordie, it's, and it's not, and it's terrible. I mean, I don't know. It's just that I thing just think where he's been he, away from the region for too yeah. long. He's <laughs> bit where he's under an overpass, and he pulls out a submachine gun. He just, I can't remember what he says, but it's just, it's just. It uh, involves the c word. Well, I know that much. Yeah, it's just nausea and it's just nausea. Probably Hugh Jack, uh, not Hugh Jackman. Sorry, Hugh Grant is having a whale of a time in the role of a, as a sleazy journalist. Yeah. Yeah, but. But is that worth watching the film for? I think not. No, not really, because everything not. that his everything that his character is sort of like connected to is just like a sort of pace killing framing device, which takes up ninety minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. So basically, the first ninety minutes are just like a big flashback. Is he? Is he? What's his character name? Basil Exposition. Something like that. It's 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 like um, it's sort of like Mickey. Oh no, hang on. That's 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 Matthew McConaughey's character, isn't it? But the thing is, just like, what with what is it with Guy Ritchie though? Because I think he, uh, did you say that? Did either of you guys see um, the Man from Uncle? Yeah, I thought yeah. that was really good. I mean, I didn't think mm. it was like mm. like phenomenal, but I just thought that was a potential franchise in the making. There, I thought it was okay. Um, I really liked Henry Cavill in it. Mm. Really liked Henry Cavill in that. Um, but I just, just as a film, I just didn't think it landed properly for me. Ah, I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like a, it's like one of the lesser James Bond films in a way. Sort of the feel of yeah. it. It's like, uh, uh, this is, you know, this is this is watchable. Um, anyway, on just just one thing before we move on from the gentleman, Hugh Grant's character is called Fletcher. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just don't watch it, folks. Don't, yeah, don't avoid. Bother. Um, also, we've got the Bourne trilogy, which aptly comes out on three consecutive days, the 17th, 18th and 19th of September. All three are worth watching. Uh, maybe get some headache tablets for the Paul Greengrass camera work. Um, <laughs> and also we've got Queen and Slim, which I haven't seen yet. That's on the 20th of September. Wow, I didn't know that. Starring Daniel Kaluuya, which... Uh, I want to check out, but looks interesting. And also, uh, if you have any any kids to please, uh, you've got Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, on the 6th, 6th of September. Oh, nice. So, I like these new Jumanji movies. If you like that, if you've got some kids, go and watch that. Okay, well, that's about it for this week's episode, but uh, just to give you listeners a heads up that uh, due to situations... Uh, out of all of our control we're probably going to be going to about one episode roughly a fortnight uh due to simon's work uh but uh, doing a sterling job in getting the episodes edited together but it just might mean they'll be a, f- a bit sparse um around we'll try to aim to get them out once a fortnight but keep an eye out on our socials uh where we'll still be promoting any films and things that we see that pop up that we aren't able to cover in the episodes uh but uh you were wanting to mention uh, just some contributions from people out there as well simon yeah, of course. I mean, like I said, with my uh, review of Paper House, however brutal it might have been, um, if you do have any film recommendations uh, for us to watch, uh, then please do contribute them. Uh, if you have any thoughts about what we've discussed today and would like to contribute yours, also please do. Uh, and if you're feeling compelled enough to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcasting platform you're listening to us on, then also, also, please do. 
Yeah, and uh, as I say, with us possibly going down to um, not as many episodes on a weekly basis, we're just going to see what, what time we're on for this episode at the minute. We're probably about the hour mark, so we'll add some extra <laughs> stuff in. We'll just do a bit of extra stuff in per episode there to bulk it up a little bit, make it worth your while. But, of course. Uh, from me, Graham, though, thank you very much for listening. And thank you from Simon as well. Goodbye, guys. And thanks from Scott. See you next time.